1: Tonight, straight from the source, new reporting on the -the behind-the-scenes shuffle that led to Donald Trump's late-night endorsement in the House Speaker's race. He's not only deeply invested in who the next speaker will be, but also how loyal that person will be to him. Plus, President Biden facing backlash from his own party. After reversing his immigration policy and building more of Trump's border wall, he says he had no choice. A senator who once called that wall medieval is here to respond. Also today, today's Nobel Peace Prize winner sitting in jail tonight, continuing to risk her life from behind bars, fighting Iran's oppressive regime, what she wants the world to know. I'm Caitlin Collins, and this is The Source. Tonight, I have new reporting on how Donald Trump is viewing the race for House Speaker in terms of loyalty to him alone. As he traveled from a New York courtroom back to his Mar-a-Lago club this week, I'm told that Trump was paying very close attention to the dramatic ouster of the man that he often refers to as Mike Heavitt. While Trump reveled in the idea of getting the gavel himself, he never really took that suggestion publicly. And instead, I'm told that he focused on making sure that the role is going to someone who is loyal enough to him. He scoffed at the idea of some of these more moderate names that have been floated, like the majority whip, Tom Emmer and others, Trump is actually looking to capitalize on the entire chaotic spectacle by going to Washington next week to endorse his pick potentially during that GOP meeting that is set to happen on Tuesday. But that plan hit a brick wall when Congressman Troy Nels tweeted this, catching not only Trump, but his inner circle off guard. He said, quote, just had a great conversation with President Trump about the speaker's race. He is endorsing Jim Jordan, and I believe Congress should listen to the leader of our party. Though Trump had been reluctant to actually do so publicly, at least, that Trump did force him to post his own shortly after midnight, affirming that, yes, Jim Jordan does have his endorsement in this race. For now, that trip to D.C. is scrapped, and so is a scheduled Fox debate between the candidates for the next House speaker. That fell apart after fellow House Republicans were infuriated that they'd be debating publicly before actually doing so privately within their own party, with one Republican lawmaker telling CNN, quote, People are pissed. It's just another sign of the tension that is happening inside the GOP right now as Republicans are still scrambling to find their new leader. And speaking of the former leader, Kevin McCarthy spoke today, denying reports that he is planning on resigning from Congress. I'm not
2: resigning, I lot more work to do, You're not resigning? No, I'm not resigning. So you'll
3: stay the entire term? I'm staying, so don't worry. Got a lot you to think you're not running for re-election?
1: going for a much more casual look these days. I am joined now by former Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger and former senior advisor to President Obama, David Axelrod. Thank you both for being here. Congressman Kinzinger, I mean, like it or not, Donald Trump is obviously the leader of the Republican Party. He clearly wants someone who is loyal to him as the next House Speaker. What influence do you think he has in actually deciding who they vote for as soon as next week, potentially?
2: Well, they'll have significant influence because what this does is this sets off the right wing echo chamber where you know people will start tweeting and people will start asking members of Congress who they're going to vote for. And you can't play coy. You have to now say it publicly because that's the pressure. And if you do anything but Jim Jordan, you're a rhino. And that's, of course, unacceptable to be a rhino or a squish. And so all the people that would normally be opposed to Jim Jordan start publicly coming on board. So it doesn't mean that, you know, Jim Jordan has this thing walking away, but certainly Donald Trump's endorsement, uh, while maybe not a morally good thing, uh, if you're just running for the office, it's probably very helpful.
1: Yeah, it was notable that his, his post endorsing him had more to do with his wrestling track record than anything really related to Congress. But David, I mean, there's no blueprint for what someone like Kevin McCarthy is doing right now in the sense of being ousted by his own party, staying in the in Congress for now, he says, saying he even might run again. I mean, how do you expect he handles this race? Does he get involved? Does he endorse somebody?
4: I mean, he said he wouldn't. I'm not sure that, uh, I'm not sure that he will. It's an awkward position for him right now because he was, uh, of course, my Kevin, he was he was Trump's guy. Now, Trump has interposed himself in this race. I really don't know. I can't crawl inside Kevin McCarthy's head. And, and see what, uh, and, and think about what he uh, would do. But I will say this, uh, I think Trump's rolled the dice here. You can't be the uh, self-proclaimed and apparent leader of the party, the front runner for the nomination, interpose yourself in this fight and not win it. So he has a lot at stake here. Uh, he, you know, the last thing that Trump wants to look like is a loser, as we know. And so uh, now he it's really uh, on him to try and deliver his guy. If he does, one thing I think will be uh, for sure is that we will see a formal impeachment uh, of President Biden uh, during the next few months, because I think Trump will insist on it.
1: Yeah. I mean, he was already insisting on just getting to the inquiry, which he wasn't. He didn't see as sufficient. I mean, speaking of Trump, obviously he endorsed Jordan Uh, Congressman, not long after he was on Fox News. And I noticed in Jim Jordan's hit last night, he was talking about Trump likely being the next president, kept talking about what a great president he was. Obviously, this comes as Trump had been, you know, toying with this idea of maybe taking the speakership on a short term role, which I don't think anyone took seriously. But do you think that that is something that, that Jordan was trying to make sure he did not take seriously?
2: I don't know. I don't think anybody, I think even Jim Jordan, I mean, maybe because I think Jim Jordan has desperately wanted to be speaker for a long time. He acts like he's being kind of shepherded into this position by, you know, his bonds to America and his duty to the country, which he absolutely failed by the way on January 6th and everything leading up to it and post that when we wanted to talk to him. So, but I think this is just a matter of, you know, Jim Jordan probably knows Donald Trump isn't running and probably wants to just keep kissing Donald Trump's backside because he knows that he can turn a lot of votes. And again, even if, you know, in a secret ballot, which in the conference itself, so in the meeting of just Republicans, it's a secret ballot. You only have to get half of the conference to then be the quote unquote Republican name put forward. I think Jim Jordan gets that very easily. The question in this is, are there five to 10 Republicans, so-called moderates, that play the same game that the eight that deposed Kevin McCarthy played, and they simply refuse under any condition to vote for Jim Jordan, particularly because this will doom Ukraine, and particularly because Jim Jordan, frankly,
4: doesn't deserve it. So that'll be the question, and I, I don't know the answer to that yet.
1: Yeah. Well, let we're... me
4: just, uh, let me, if Go I ahead, can David. add, uh, Caitlin, it doesn't, y- yes, it will doom Ukraine, which is a, uh, which would be a, a tragedy. Uh, it also, I think, would imperil the, uh, the, uh, you know, dozen or more uh, re- uh, Republicans in swing districts. I think Jim Jordan, as the face of the Republican caucus, will become a huge rallying point for Democrats in these swing districts because he uh, reflects a kind of hard-edged extremism that was the reason why Republicans underperformed in 2022. So uh, it would it would not be good for the country, but and it won't be good for the Democratic caucus if he ends up winning.
1: Well, uh, speaking of all this and Trump's influence on this, as we're looking at, you know, Trump is in between the courtroom and the campaign trail where he's expected to be back tomorrow. I want to get both of your thoughts on this, Congressman. I'll start with you. These are awful comments that Trump made when he was in an interview talking about uh, immigration and migrants specifically. This is what he said
4: nobody has any idea where these people are coming from. And we know they come from prisons. We know they come from mental institutions, insane asylums. We know they're terrorists. Nobody has ever seen anything like we're witnessing right now. It is a very sad thing for our country. Uh, It's poisoning the blood of our country. Uh, It's so bad. And people are coming in with disease. People are coming in with, with every possible thing that you can have.
1: Poisoning the blood of our country. What what went through your mind when you heard that comment, Congressman?
2: I mean, like, who says that? Who says poisoning the blood of our country? Oh, you know who did say poisoning the blood of our country? Adolf Hitler in Mein Kampf. When talking about Jewish journalists said that they were poisoning the blood of Germany and infecting the country. I mean, this is, this is language right out of Mein Kampf. I mean, this is not every Republican... And particularly every Republican that wants to be speaker, every time they're interviewed, should be forced to answer for this question. Do you agree with what Trump said or not? And if you don't, do you still consider him the best possibility for the next president of the United States? The president of the United States talking about poisoning the blood of the country. I mean, even if a president had said this about Al Qaeda after 9-11, it would have been over the top. Instead, he's talking about people desperate for a better life. There is no excuse for this and it disgusts me as an American to hear him say that.
1: Yeah, and the, I should note that his spokesperson tried to deny that it was kind of any kind of xenophobic remark, but obviously David this just fits into a long history of comments like this that Trump has made. I mean this may be maybe the furthest, but what did you make of it?
4: Well, look, I mean it does we all remember how he entered American politics in the first place coming down the escalator at Trump Tower and talking about Mexico sending rapists and murderers uh, over the border. Uh, So, yes, this is completely consistent with who he is. And and Adam, is, I agree with every word he said. Uh, He said this is over the top, though. And we should note that Donald Trump's built his whole career on saying things that no one else would say. He's built his whole career on saying things that are over the top. And he's found an audience for the things that he's said, uh, and right now there is concern, and I think justifiable concern about uh, what's going on on the border and the influx of, of migrants. Uh, and he is trying to take advantage of that situation by doing what he always does by by touching these very very kind of sick <laughs> cords, uh, but that have a that that generate a response. This is vintage Donald Trump. So uh, we should both condemn him and recognize the power. Uh, of his willingness to say what no one else will say.
1: Yeah, and obviously the power of those words. David Axelrod, Adam Kinzinger, thank you both for joining me. And just to note, we've also fact-checked Trump's claim that menstrual institutions in South America are sending patients to the border. There is zero evidence, none, zilch. His campaign, we've asked them repeatedly, they've never been able to provide any. Just a fact-check there from those comments. Also tonight, we'll take a deeper dive on the speaker candidate who got Trump's endorsement, fierce loyalist Jim Jordan. Trump awarded him the Medal of Freedom just days after January 6th at a private ceremony at the White House. Also tonight, the Biden administration is still struggling to defend the president's border wall reversal. While blue state mayors and governors are also demanding more help with the wave of migrants that they are facing, we'll speak with a Democratic senator right after the break. Of the two candidates who were locked in the battle for the gavel on Capitol Hill, only one, as we just noted, has gotten the endorsement of the man who still maintains an iron grip on the Republican Party. Overnight, the twice impeached, four times indicted Donald Trump said that Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio had his, quote, complete and total endorsement for House Speaker. He reminded his followers that he once awarded Jordan the highest civilian honor that you can get in this nation, the Medal of Freedom. That was when Donald Trump was in office, of course. He gave that to Jordan less than a week after the January 6th attack on the Capitol during a private ceremony that happened at the White House. In between phone calls to fellow Republicans today, Congressman Jordan told my colleague Manu Raju he appreciates Trump's endorsement but is also focused on getting support across the board within Congress and described himself as he believes someone who can bring his party together.
5: I like the job I got now. I never wanted to do this job, but someone has to um, who can
3: who can bring the team together and can go communicate to the country. And that's why I'm running.
1: Someone who unites the party is not always the way that Jim Jordan has been described, certainly not on Capitol Hill. He is the founding chairman of the ultra conservative House Freedom Caucus, and he was once called a, quote, legislative terrorist by the former Republican House Speaker John Boehner. (laughs)
3: I
2: just never saw a guy who spent more time tearing things apart and never building anything.
1: Despite Jordan's reputation as a, quote, bomb thrower, he has risen from the fringes of the GOP to the forefront of his party. He's now the chairman of the powerful House Judiciary Committee. He's playing a key role in the impeachment inquiry into President Biden as well.
5: This is a tale as old as time politician takes action that makes money for his family, and then he tries to conceal it.
1: One former Republican lawmaker offered a blunt warning if Jordan does end up with the top job. That's Liz Cheney, who, of course, chaired the January 6th Select Committee. She accused Jordan of being at the, quote, top of the list of Republicans who enabled that attack.
0: Jim Jordan knew more about what Donald Trump had planned for January 6th than any other member of the House of Representatives.
1: She also predicted, I should note in those remarks, that Jordan would lose this race for the House Speakership. Her sentiment was echoed by the former Trump White House staffer and the star of those January 6th hearings that you saw here on The Source last week, Cassidy Hutchinson.
5: But Jim Jordan was privy to nearly everything, if not everything, about and
0: pertaining to January 6th. Jim Jordan can't be trusted
3: with the Constitution.
1: Of course, Jordan defied a subpoena from the January 6th committee. He has answered questions about conversations that he had with Trump on that dark day.
5: Did you speak with him before, during, or after the Capitol was attacked? Uh, I'd have to go. I, I, I spoke with him that day after, I think after. I don't know if I spoke with him in the morning or not. I, I, I just don't know. Before, during or
3: after the attack on- the I talked government. to the president after the attack. So not before or during. Right.
1: I should note that phone records that were subpoenaed by the committee show that Jordan did speak with Trump for 10 minutes on the morning of January 6th. For more on where he is now, where he is in this race. Joining me is former Illinois Congressman Rodney Davis, who worked alongside Jim Jordan in the Congress. You were at the Capitol with McCarthy on Tuesday when he was voted out of his speaker position. Thank you for being here, Congressman. When, you know, you look at what Jim Jordan used to be known as, what he is seen as now. You know, Charlie Dent, who also is a former Republican congressman, said earlier to Jake Tapper that he was always good at blowing up deals, but not necessarily putting them together. Do you think he's the right person to lead House Republicans now?
5: Well, because of Donald Trump, I don't get to make that choice anymore, Caitlin. Uh, But I can tell you, Charlie and Adam and others you've spoken with, they were right about Jim Jordan. When I got to Congress in 2013, he would blow things up. He wouldn't legislate. He was not a lawmaker. He was somebody who completely disregarded any legislative process. But what I can tell you is Jim Jordan has changed. When we spent time in the last two terms in the minority, I watched Jim Jordan grow into somebody who actually legislated and legislated well. Uh, he's somebody who clearly has a shot at being speaker. I don't know if he's the front
1: runner right now, but he has a shot. I think there are some skeptics probably watching maybe who just raised their eyebrows when you, you gave that comment. And I think the question would be, has Jim Jordan changed or is it the party that has changed to, to be more like Jim Jordan?
5: Well, some in the party have changed to be more like Jim Jordan. I think we're seeing more gerrymandered districts, which bring more polarized political individuals into Congress. But I also saw Jim change, because Jim was somebody who worked with leadership over the last two terms. Look, I was excited to to be nominated to serve on the January 6th Select Committee with Jim, with others. But unfortunately, Speaker Pelosi did what she did best as Speaker, she set precedents that tore the fabric of the institution apart.
1: Yeah, well, she rejected some of those picks and then Kevin McCarthy pulled all of them. I mean, part of that is also personal to you. I mean, you voted to certify President Biden's win. Jim Jordan notably did not. And that's why part of why Liz Cheney was saying, you know, he, he can't be trusted with the speakership. Do you not think it's, it's disqualifying if it's someone who, who voted against certifying the legitimate election results?
5: You know, voting against certifying election results just didn't begin on that tragic day of January 6th. Uh, it began it, it happened in many presidential elections before. Just in 2017, I watched Jamie Raskin and Jim McGovern stand on the floor to object to states that President Trump won. Let's look back to 2004 when you had, Recent committee chairs that were Democrats had voted to decertify Ohio's election results for George W. Bush. No, I don't think one vote should determine the future of anybody's ability to serve in a position, um, whether I agreed with that vote or not.
1: I don't think people would see those as the same things. I think you maybe say that wasn't right when those lawmakers did it, but doing it after a dramatic attack on the Capitol where the president is contesting the results and not just in court, but But on his Twitter feed, I do am curious what you think of whether or not Trump's endorsement here of Jordan is helpful or hurtful. Because he kind of downplayed it earlier when he was speaking with Manu Raju. Obviously, there's a lot of moderate Republicans that he's trying to bring into his fold.
5: You know, with the the very slim majority of the Republicans have, I, I don't see how this is a net gain for Jim at this point, because there are many that I served with in Congress that will now never support Jim Jordan because Donald Trump has stepped forward. Um, it's going to be an interesting. It's going to be an interesting race over the next few days and into next week. And I certainly hope that the Republicans can come together, get a consensus candidate, and begin moving the country forward again.
1: It is going to be an interesting race. Is maybe the understatement of the night. <laughs> Former Congressman Rodney Davis, thank you for joining us with your perspective tonight. Thanks, Caitlin. Up next, a jailed Iranian activist has just won the Nobel Peace Prize for her fight against oppression and for women's rights in her country. Even from her jail, jail cell, she was a key part of the massive protests that have happened. And tonight, her fight is not over. The winner of this year's Nobel Peace Prize won't receive it in person because she's currently locked away in an Iranian prison. Now our guest, Mohammadi, is one of the most outspoken critics of the Iranian regime. And today, she was awarded the prize for her 30-year battle for human rights. She's currently serving 10 years in prison, a notorious prison, I should note, for abusing political prisoners. And she has been banned from seeing her family. When protests rocked Iran last year after 22-year-old Masa Amini died in the custody of the regime's morality police, Mohammadi organized prison protests and led weekly workshops for female inmates about their rights. Now, tension is once again brewing on the streets of Iran. Activists have accused the morality police of assaulting a 16-year-old who was not wearing a headscarf. She was seen collapsing at a metro station. She has been in a coma since Sunday. Iranian officials claim that she fainted because of low blood pressure. But Mohammadi told CNN that the regime is preventing the truth from coming to light. I should note that CNN also received exclusive audio from within her prison before today's exciting announcement, where Mohamedy is heard leading prisoners in a chant of women, life, freedom. What's unclear tonight is if she even knows that she has won the Nobel Peace Prize. Her family says that prisoners cannot receive calls on Fridays. Joining me now is the Iranian-American journalist and activist Masi Alinejad, who was nominated for this year's Nobel Peace Prize as well, and also knows Mohammadi. I'm so glad that you are here. I mean, you have known her for some 20 years, I believe. I mean, (laughs) what did you think when you heard this amazing news? I
6: screamed. I (laughs) screamed out of joy. It's like I myself won the prize, because as far as any woman wins Nobel Peace Prize, uh, it means that. All Iranian women got it. You know what I mean? It's it's a slap in the face of Khamenei
1: and uh, its gender apartheid regime. So yeah. that is why I got very, very happy. Well, and just looking at her, at her body of work, I mean, what Nargis yes. Mohammadi has done. I mean, she's reported extensively about government abuse, and she has paid for that. I mean, I, I not only noted that she's serving this 10-year sentence, she's been arrested 13 times, convicted five of those times, and sentenced to 31 years total in prison, 154 lashes. I mean... That's the price that she has been willing to pay. Exactly. But let me be very honest with you. She
6: is wounded. She paid huge price, but she's unbreakable. She's unbowed to the Islamic Republic. You know, first, when I met her, it was 20 years ago when I was a parliamentary journalist. Before even seeing her face, I heard her voice loudly and bravely challenging the members of parliament uh, for the pol- the situation of political prisoners. Since that, she, be- she herself became a political prisoner. But as far as I know, even inside prison, she became the voice of voiceless people. That is why I believe that this uh, award has a significant message, showing the rest of the world the, the, the real picture of Iranian women. Do you think she even knows that she's won this award? You know, I believe that she knows it because... The Iranian regime attacked her already. So, forgetting this award. Forgetting this award. And they, they see Iranian national television in prison. So, between the lines, she can read that this is, you know, her, I mean, for, for, for me and millions of Iranian women, when the Islamic Republic attacks
1: someone, she's a hero. It's a badge of honor. Yeah. I mean, and, and they've been downplaying the Nobel Peace Prize of as course. well. Of course. Do you think that's because they, they don't want society to to get this sense? I mean, we've seen all of these multiple protests stacking up. Do you think they're worried that they'll see that she's getting this global recognition for her work?
6: That's a very good point. I believe that they try to downplay this price to let the people know that this is nothing. But at the same time, they know that, you know, this is going to encourage Nargis to be more determined to mobilize women within the prison and to encourage other women in society to, because this is a recognition to woman life freedom. It means a lot to us. I even tattooed it here. So it means a lot to millions of Iranian women. But I have to say that this is a bittersweet moment for Iranians right now. At the same time, we are happy to be recognized. But on the other hand, our Mita only 16 year old teenager, is now fighting for her life in a coma right after being bitten up by morality police.
1: This is Armita Garavan. Iranian officials are denying that that her mother has been arrested as well. I mean, the details around this, from what we know, are horrific.
6: My sister, denying is in the DNA of the Islamic Republic. They actually killed 1,500 innocent people in blood in November. They shut down the internet, and then with biggest smile, Ibrahim Raisi came here, United Nations, on saying that, you know, death to America. You know, we didn't kill anyone. We know Iranian regime the best that now if they didn't kill, I mean, if they didn't uh, bitten up Armita, then what was the reason they uh, forced her parents to do false confession? What was the reason they even detained two of Armita's classmates, two teenagers, and forced them to deny the brutality of morality police? What I mean why why they arrested the journalist a female journalist who was trying to clearly do her job mm-hmm. making a report taking a photo if she really fainted out fainted out just because of a drop in her blood pressure then let all the international correspondent all the free, uh, free you know journalists go there and show it
1: to the rest of the world yeah you don't just pass out and go into a coma from, from low blood you always come with a message any time that you and I have spoken, an important message to world leaders. If you were speaking to them tonight, what would your message be?
6: I want to be actually the voice of Iranian people because they say that we're happy when we are being recognized by Nobel Peace Prize Committee. But at the same time, what is the point that the West actually giving price to well-known activists facing guns and bullets, but at the same time, they are legitimizing our killers? You know, I don't really get it. And Iranian people are furious for that. So my message is very clear. Be as brave as Nargis Mohammadi. My clear message to the female politicians in the West, be as brave as Iranian women and say no to gender apartheid regime. This is 21st century. Women are getting killed for showing their hair. Men getting executed for supporting women's life freedom movement. So my message is very, very clear. This regime is either Gender apartheid or not? If it is gender apartheid regime, then isolate. And President Biden actually uh, congratulates Nargis Mohammadi and he shared his uh, you know, sympathy with Armita. But America can take the lead and ask Europeans to expand the definition of apartheid in all international laws to include gender. That's how we isolate and end the Islamic Republic.
1: The Women, Life, Freedom, Memo. We always love having you on, Masi. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. One day I'm going to invite you to Iran. Okay, I would love that. Great. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Also coming up, the fate of the war in Ukraine could depend on who the next House speaker is on Capitol Hill. My next guest argues that MAGA Republicans outplayed Kevin McCarthy and Democrats on funding and abandoning Ukraine could lead to a wider conflict. That perspective next. A surge in migration is leading to some policy reversals by prominent Democrats. The Biden administration will resume deporting Venezuelans directly back to Venezuela as border crossings have jumped in recent weeks. Just last month, the Department of Homeland Security announced that protected status for migrants from Venezuela, meaning they could stay and work in the United States for 18 months. All of this as President Biden today is defending violating a major campaign promise that he made, by resuming construction on the southern border wall, with President Biden saying that it's because money was already approved by Congress in 2019 that he has to take this step. Meanwhile, we're also hearing from Democratic mayors in major cities asking the federal government for more help as they are facing a a wave of migrants who are seeking asylum in their cities. I'm joined tonight by Democratic Senator Michael Bennett of Colorado. Senator, I'm so glad you're here to talk about this because it's obviously a... a issue that so many politicians, so many people are dealing with across this country. And tonight I was thinking of a speech that you gave in 2019, a very fiery speech on the Senate floor. I want to remind our viewers what you said in 2019.
3: I can assure you that in Colorado, if a president said he was going to use eminent domain to erect a barrier across the state of Colorado across the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, he was gonna steal the property of our farmers and ranchers to build his medieval wall. There wouldn't be an elected leader from our state that would support that idea.
1: Senator, has your position changed that that you see a border wall as medieval?
3: Well, Kaelin, thanks for having me. What I was saying in that speech, which I 100% agree with today, was that we should not take farmers or ranchers' land by eminent domain, the government just taking, seizing their land, which is what Donald Trump was proposing. You know, yeah, and no one in Colorado would ever support that. You know, I didn't support putting spikes on a wall. I didn't support putting alligators in a moat. I didn't support shooting people that were coming across the border, all of which Donald Trump did. What I did support, was the last comprehensive bill, uh, immigration bill, uh, that we passed in the Senate. Uh, There was the so-called Gang of Eight. I was one of the four Democrats who negotiated that bill. That bill had a pathway to citizenship for 11 million people. It had the most progressive dream act we've ever written. Something forgotten is that it had $40 billion of border security, 40 billion. Mm -hmm. That's far more than Donald Trump ever spent on his wall and but it was modern border security it was stuff that we developed in afghanistan and iraq that could allow us to see every single inch of the border and allow us to manage the border in a proper proper rational and humane way and that's what we need in our immigration system well, we I, need an immigration system unlike the one we have today I should that's know- not broken and we need one that's consistent with our best traditions as a nation of immigrants. And I think we could create one.
1: I think I think people from both sides of the aisle would agree, agree that the immigration system is broken. I should note that that last suggestion there from Trump, that was a suggestion that wasn't actually a policy process. But when it comes to the fact that it is reality on the ground, the, the White House is acknowledging they are expanding the border wall, I mean, what's your response to that?
3: My response to that is no one thing is going to solve this problem. We have to figure out... How to build more capacity on the border so that we can actually have a rational approach to people that are coming here. We got to build a system so that you know we're we're able to give people an answer within three to six months of 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 what their status is going to be in the United States. We need a system that uh, allows people that are here to be able to work and contribute to our economy. We have none of those things today. We we don't have a we don't have a system that works at the border we don't have a system that works for our economy and it's a national disgrace and a national tragedy because we're literally losing farms and ranches because we don't have the people to work our farms and ranches so i think this is a, one of those things caitlin just like our health care system and our education system and whether we're going to fund ukraine and all the other stuff we should be working on that donald trump did not fix uh, not even remotely, when he was president of the United States, he's trying to get another shot at that. I think we'd be a lot better off with Republicans and Democrats working together in Washington to actually but, but Senator, achieve respectfully, that, Senator, respectfully,
1: President Biden sure. said, you know, when he was a candidate, there would not be another foot of wall built. Do you see this as a broken promise to voters since they are indeed not only building more feet of that wall, they're also building 20 more miles?
3: Well, I don't think probably that was a promise that should ever have been made. I think that what we should not be doing is having a fight over this inch of border wall or that mile of border wall or this, you know, or this you know, person that Donald Trump is, is, is attacking. What we should be doing is figuring out how to have a rational system that can drive economic growth in this country, that can support our agricultural sector, that can support our high-tech sector, and when needed can support um, our, our history as a nation that refugees have found a home and that immigrants like my mom, you know, who was born in 1938 in Warsaw, Poland, the worst place on planet Earth you could have been born, a nation that where she and her parents could come and rebuild their shattered lives after Hitler had destroyed their entire family. These are the things that we should be doing as a country.
1: I know that the environment has been a a project for you, a passion for you, something that you have cared a lot about. Are you okay with President Biden bypassing a lot of these environmental laws in order to to expand the border wall the way that he's doing?
3: I haven't I haven't studied the 25 miles of the border in detail, although I am going to Mexico City on Monday and I am going to the border this week. So I'll ask those questions while I'm there. I well, will it's, say the, it's that the Clean Air Act, somebody- it's the
1: Safe Drinking Water Act, it's the Endangered Spe- Species Act. It's um, those among, uh, I think, a dozen others that they are bypassing. Are you okay with that? You,
3: yeah, you, okay I, with you that? I, I would need to know the details of it, Caitlin, but let me just say, I just want to say in fairness and respectfully to you that I, I have believed my entire career and my entire adult life that the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, and the Endangered Species Act is uh, not only have been important for our climate, but important for our economy. I continue to believe that. On the other hand, I also believe, as a general matter, that we have made it too hard to build things in this country. I'm not talking about the wall now. I'm just talking generally. We've made things too hard to build. And that if we are going to create the energy transition we need in this country, we're going to have to figure out how to build things again. That, again, I'm not talking about the wall in that context. But I do think... Look, I can appreciate the fact that the president said one thing when he was running and, and, and he's apparently said something else yesterday. And I think it's appropriate to call that out. The point that I'm making is that we, if we are ever actually going to solve this immigration issue, just like the most complex issues that are facing this country, we're going to have to stop. And I'm not a- talking to you about this. I'm talking about politicians trying to score cheap political points that don't actually put points on the board for the American people. When we wrote that Gang of Eight bill, we got 68 votes in the Senate. You can't Mm -hmm. get 68 votes for Mm -hmm. almost anything. That's hard in the Senate. And unfortunately, it got torpedoed by the Tea Party in the House of Representatives. And we got to get back to the the drawing board and see if we can't make that agreement again or something like it.
1: Senator, after you go to your trip to Mexico City, we look forward to, to having you back to, to get your perspective on it. Thank you, Senator Michael Bennett, for joining us tonight on a Friday, night. a Friday
3: night. Thanks for having me, Caitlin.
1: Coming up, it has been a deadly week in Ukraine. Dozens of civilians have been killed, including children, as Russian strikes. And the debate in the United States is continuing over funding for the war-torn country and whether there will be any more of it. It has been another deadly week in Vladimir Putin's war on Ukraine. You're looking at destruction from Kharkiv today, where a 10-year-old boy was killed while he was sleeping. Yesterday, another child was killed in an attack on the small village of Hraza. 52 people in total killed. Back here in the United States, as you see images like that, the fight playing out on Capitol Hill for more funding and whether or not there will be any more for Ukraine is now tightly wrapped in the battle for the speaker's gavel that we started this hour with. I'm joined now by Washington Post columnist Josh Rogan, who wrote about the politicization of the Ukrainian aid, of Ukrainian aid, what that future is going to look like. Josh, I was just fascinated by this reporting. And, And essentially what you saw is that McCarthy's ouster that happened on Tuesday actually made passing any new aid to Ukraine. You say, quote, extremely difficult, perhaps impossible. What did you hear from these lawmakers?
7: Right. Well, for weeks, actually months, Democrats and some Republicans and the Biden administration, frankly, were depending on Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy to get the aid through. They were telling everybody, including reporters, that it was only a small number of Republicans that were opposed to it and that those Republicans could be managed. Well, no one can say that anymore. And McCarthy's gone and McConnell has lost control of his caucus. And they were successful in stripping the aid out. And McCarthy thought he was doing that as a concession to the right-wingers. And the right-wingers removed him anyway. So now the Ukrainian Ukrainian is in the worst possible position ever. It's not in the bill. It's going to take an active act of Congress to put it back into the next funding bill. And there's no clear path on the House floor. And there's no promise by Jim Jordan or Steve Scalise to bring it up to the House floor in the first place. And if the funding doesn't come through within a couple of weeks or a couple of months, depending on who you ask, the Ukrainians are going to run out of money. And then all of a sudden they're going to be short on weapons and Um, More people will die and uh, Vladimir Putin will benefit.
1: What? And Yeah. I mean, Jim Jordan has said he doesn't favor more Ukraine funding right now. But what I'm so struck by is that Kevin McCarthy took it out of that short term bill that they passed. I mean, obviously, in hopes of appeasing the getting it passed and appeasing the lawmakers who said no to it. I mean, both results would have ended in him being ousted. So, I mean, I think the question is, should he have just left it in there anyway?
7: Right. You're right. He got played. Uh, he he gave a concession for no reason. And then even after they took it out of the bill, uh, still Democrats in the administration were like, oh, don't worry, Kevin McCarthy, will get it done in the long run. Uh, but now he, he can't get it done and there's no plan B. And yeah, I think this shows that The opposition was much more entrenched than we thought, that we underestimated the MAGA lawmakers' capacity for maneuver and their ability to think two or three steps ahead. And what that means now is that the Biden administration, Democrats and Republicans who support Ukraine, who don't want to see the counteroffensive undermined at the most important point, America's credibility undermined around the world, will have to come up with a smarter strategy and a better explanation to the American people as to why this is in America's national interest. And I think they better get to it pretty fast.
1: Yeah, seems like a tougher argument every day with what we're seeing in the polling. Josh Rogan, great reporting. Everyone can read the full report at the Washingtonpost.com. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Anytime. And thank you so much for joining us on this Friday night and every night this week. Seen in Prime Time with Abby Phillips starts right after a quick break.
7: When you work,
5: you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii.
4: I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you.